Welcome into this week's edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast alongside Sun Devil Source publisher Chris Cartman. I'm your host, Kerry Crowley. Chris, Arizona State goes more than 100 days without receiving a verbal commitment from a recruit, and that all comes to an end last week as former Alabama quarterback Blake Barnett offers his verbal commitment at a home visit with Todd Graham, Chip Lindsey, and former ASU wide receiver coach Jay Norvell. We'll get to that later, but first, just your initial impressions on how important this commitment was for ASU to not only end the drought, but to add a big-time quarterback. Yeah, they did it with a bang, and we knew that Blake Barnett was seriously considering ASU. Uh, It had been reported by us that he had been on ASU's campus twice previously as he considered his options. Um, This is a a guy who formerly was the MVP of the Elite 11 camp, which is annually the most prestigious quarterback camp in the country, uh, part of the opening, which is by Nike on, on the University of Oregon campus, and Um, I've had a chance to see him in person on several occasions uh, before he went to Alabama. This is a guy who is uh, at least 6'4", or or a little bit taller than that, Uh, 215 pounds. He's got the stature. Uh, He's got a plus arm. He can make all the throws on the field that you're going to want or need. He's uh, mobile and athletic for being a pocket passer. Uh, I always hate that you have basically two categories that of, of quarterbacks that you get uh, thrown into because really there's a full spectrum of, of players and he would be more um, of a, a mobile threat to, to, to run the football either by design or, or scrambling. Um, his throwing mechanics are a little bit elongated. I think that's probably the biggest concern that you have for Blake Barnett mechanically especially on a lot of the quick concept throws that um, where you want to get the ball out really hot uh, to, um, you know, like RPO stuff where you got a, a quick fake handoff to a throw on a slant or you got to get the ball to the perimeter on a bubble screen, uh, how, how quickly he's able to get the ball from a rival in his hands to where it needs to be. Um, that's probably the thing you're, we're going to have to, to watch for. But this is a guy who will definitely shake up the ASU quarterback situation immediately. Um, and for ASU to go more than four months without a commitment and then get Blake Barnett as a, a former five-star quarterback uh, prospect is pretty remarkable because that should uh, give you a trampoline effect with some of your other recruiting endeavors as you go through the uh, the last six weeks now of the recruiting cycle. And that's really important, of course, because ASU had its second consecutive disappointing football season. Blake Barnett began the season as the starting quarterback for Alabama in its season opener against USC. He was lifted after two series uh, in favor of freshman quarterback Jalen Hurts, a true freshman who has really played lights out for much of the season for the Crimson Tide and has them at the number one seed for the college football playoffs. But I think it does say a lot that Barnett was at least even with Hurts coming out of fall camp, considering what we've seen from him in Alabama's offense this season. And now ASU gets a guy who was really one of Alabama's top commits in in its 2015 class. And that says a lot because Alabama routinely brings in the number one overall class in the country. Right. Looking at the Alabama situation and talking to people who cover the program or around the program, follow it really closely. uh, There was some um, unhappiness with Alabama's rushing attack 
early on in the season. And when you have such a great defense as Alabama always does, and it's built around that with Nick Saban, there's a desire to have a strong rushing attack to help you play the type of style that you want to. And, and, and Blake Barnett is less of a run oriented quarterback, of course, than Jalen hurts. And so I think that in a, um, desire to expedite his team's rushing attack and add an extra dimension. And Jalen Hurts is almost like a running back playing quarterback in a lot of respects, but someone who also has the arm to play that position effectively. I think that's kind of the decision that they made. And Blake Barnett realizing that that's the, that that's the, um, the way that things were going to go for Alabama. And of course they were going to probably be very successful because they're absolutely loaded and, and really well coached and prepared. Uh, he just decided to to get out of there after just four games, and that presents an opportunity, we believe, for Barnett to be able to play after the first four games of the uh, 2017 season. Yeah, let's touch on that for a moment. It appears as though Barnett is one of the first players to find this NCAA loophole that says you become eligible a full year after you transfer out of a program. So Barnett was out by the 1st of October, if my memory serves me correct. I think he was out September 29th of this season. So theoretically, Barnett, if the NCAA rule of one year from the transfer date holds up, could be eligible as soon as four games in the next season for ASU. Right. He transferred... Uh, to Palomar Junior College. It's kind of north of San Diego. Found a school that he could get into um, and take classes because he was eligible at a, at a high school as a qualifier. That means that as long as he is a certain percentage uh, of academically completed uh, after each semester, he, he'll be able to transfer. So that means he'd be on ASU's campus at the start of January so we can participate in all of the spring practices as long as there's no um, unanticipated hurdle associated with this um, rule that we believe will allow him to play after one full year of sitting out. He would be eligible after ASU's first four games, which presents an interesting situation because, of course, you have Manny Wilkins who's returning as ASU starter, Dylan Sterling Cole started one game as a true freshman against Oregon, uh, and is, is talented. You have Brady White who's coming off of a broken foot that's going to keep him out of the spring. And this quarterback battle is something that we talked about a lot throughout um, last spring and into camp and really through the season because ASU didn't get great play from the position and had some injuries. And it's something that is going to remain really unsettled, I'm sure, as we go all the way into at least October of 2017. Yeah, if you thought the 2016 battle for the ASU quarterback position was intense, was up in the air until the very end, then the 2017 battle should just be one of the most fascinating we've seen really in the Pac-12 conference in a long time because of the way that this could shake out for Blake Barnett becoming eligible four games in. My question, Chris, if ASU has all these young quarterbacks on its depth chart that are supposed to be talented, I mean, you've got three four-star recruits in Manny Wilkins, Brady White, and Dylan Sterling Cole, and then Bryce Perkins, who's a strong athlete, of course, coming off an injury as well. Why does ASU take the commitment of Barnett, especially when it has another four-star commit already set for its 2017 class in Basha High School product Ryan Kelly? I'm so glad that you asked this question because one of the things that I consistently notice with fans on our message board in the sanctuary or just in general in the ASU community is they're trying to figure out how to 
get all of these four-star players to play in their heads. And um, and so people are saying, well, how is this going to work? And is, is a four-star quarterback going to transfer? And what does this do for Ryan Kelly? Because Ryan Kelly is going to be two years separated from Blake Barnett if he ends up redshirting this coming season. And my message for fans is don't worry about any of that. Uh, no matter what elite program you go to around the country, you have star recruits, guys that were highly coveted and, and, and really good rankings and all that kind of stuff that end up not playing at your school. And then they end up transferring or maybe they don't transfer and they're content to be backups for two or three years. And then maybe they play for a year or two down the road or they don't. Um, the reality is, is that's just the, the fact of life at uh, places around the country that consistently recruit at a high level and at the quarterback position in particular, you simply cannot afford to not have a great player there. Uh, you look around the Pac-12, no surprise, right, that you had Jake Browning was a Heisman uh, candidate at, at some level, leading Washington to its best season that it's had probably since 1991. You have Luke Falk at Washington State, who's uh, potentially a first-round NFL quarterback pick. He's leading Washington on a renaissance type of a thing that they're having that uh, hasn't been seen since Mike Price and Ryan Leaf and, the, and all those guys. Uh, Davis Webb, even though Cal defensively has been really bad, uh, he's a potential first-round quarterback out of Cal. And now you have at USC the emergence of a freshman quarterback in Sam Darnold who led USC to eight straight wins at the end of the season. UCLA, of course, has Josh Rosen, who, by the way, a lot of people thought was the best quarterback in the country prior to this season's start and maybe even a, a future number one NFL. The lone quarterback rated ahead of Barnett, correct? There you, there you go. In the, in the 2015 class, the only quarterback that was rated ahead of Blake Barnett. So that circles us back to the the fact of the matter is you have to have a great quarterback to compete in the Pac-12 and you have to ensure that you have a great quarterback by loading up your roster with as much talent as you possibly can and then saying, hey, you know, this is Darwin's law. The, 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 the strongest is going to survive, you know, the natural selection and all those kinds of things, right? It's a meritocracy. You, 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 put the, you put those guys out there, three, four, five quarterbacks, whatever you have, you let them battle, and you know that you're going to feel comfortable with, with whoever emerges from that because you had a bunch of talent to draw from, and that's the makings of a successful program. And don't worry about the guys that fall by the wayside because they'll probably end up being able to go somewhere else and play and be effective. And if not, well, that's ultimately their responsibility, and they knew what they were getting into because that's just the, the nature of uh, a quarterback. You only have one of them, and a lot of times those guys are going to start for two, three, four years. Well, when fans look at this class, before Barnett had committed, really the headliner was Basher High School quarterback Ryan Kelly, local guy from uh, the, the area. And now Kelly's got another quarterback to contend with in the class. He's entering a loaded depth chart. And I think the initial instinct of fans is to say, did ASU make a mistake here by upsetting a high-profile local target? What, what's the situation with Kelly? So Ryan Kelly hasn't responded to our um, inquiries about the situation, but... I don't read anything really into that because Ryan Kelly wasn't one to do interviews at all through this process. And he's probably the only high school quarterback that I've been around, certainly the only one that's been committed to ASU that didn't do interviews um, or just kind of just um, 
maybe if you got him in person, you know, he's going to be nice and cordial and do it. But on the phone and texting and stuff, he's not really what he's about. Um, but again, we haven't heard anything that leads us to believe around the edges of it that he's wavering or probably going to look at other options, at least not right now. And uh, as I said earlier, the most likely scenario for any freshman quarterback is you're going to redshirt. Blake Barnett, um, you know, would be then two classes separate from Ryan Kelly. And, and you know, for most guys, if you're able to become a two-year starter in the Pac-12 at a high level, that's considered a success. There's really only a few guys looking at ASU in the, in the last couple decades who have been three-year starters or, or more than that. So Blake Barnett commits last week in home visit with Todd Graham, Chip Lindsey, and then wide receivers coach Jay Norvell. By the end of the week, Norvell had accepted the head coaching job at the University of Nevada, Reno. Chris, second consecutive offseason, ASU has an assistant coach take a, take a head coaching position. Last year, of course, Mike Norvell, that really depleted Todd Graham's coaching staff. Jay Norvell, no relation, probably won't uh, de- deplete. Todd Graham's coaching staff if he even takes one or two assistant coaches which is probably unlikely at this point given that Norvell's been at a number of different high profile uh, stops around the country and has a lot of coaching ties who he can pull from to fill out that staff for the Wolfpack. Well this is a guy who was at Texas prior to ASU before that he was at Oklahoma um, he's been in the NFL he's coached in, in, in LA so he's as you said, he's got a wealth of resources. If he does take anybody, it'll probably be some lower level staffers that maybe he wants to move up into a, a little bit higher roles as GAs or maybe even a position coach, but nothing that would really upset the what's going on at ASU. Now, Norvell himself departing is a big factor for ASU, right? Because um, he's as good a, of a position coach as we've probably seen in Tempe, uh, in the time that I've been covering the program, and uh, I think I think even though Nevada made what would be will be considered as an outside the box hire there, uh, the, once you really engage with Jay Norvell and you see just how impressive he is, there's like a, almost a magnetic uh, quality about him and the way that he conducts himself and um, how articulate that he is, and and um, you can just tell he has a lot of uh, just understanding about. Uh, college football in general and and um, I think he'll recruit very effectively at Nevada I think he's built for that as a head coach Uh, we know that he understands um, how to teach the game and I think from the relationship standpoint he'll do well so I think that was a, a hit for ASU of course because as Todd Graham said when he hired Jay Norvell and Chip Lindsay that was a, a rare uh, opportunity for him to add both his number one and number two choices for the offensive coordinator position at ASU and get the second guy on his uh, on his roster. And, and Jay Norvell was, was very involved in the Sparky package, uh, from what I understand, and, and also the development of Nikhil Harry, who as a true freshman was the um, – set the records at ASU, breaking Zach Miller uh, freshman records for receiving yards and receptions in a season. Uh, He was instrumental in recruiting uh, two of ASU's top 
Division One transfers on the roster who are both receivers, Ryan Newsom from Texas and, and John Humphrey from Oklahoma. He recruited both of those players previously and, and um, even coached uh, John Humphrey during his redshirt season at Oklahoma. So uh, there, there's a lot that you're going to have to try to overcome there. Uh, uh, he's also been a, a, a guy in Chip Lindsey's ear because he's got an air raid background, which he had at Oklahoma. That's Chip Lindsey's uh, style of offense, preferably. Uh, there is a lot of flexibility, though, with what ASU can do now in the wake of Jay Norvell's departure. Well, speaking of recruiting John Humphrey and Ryan Newsom to Tempe, Jay Norvell was hired additionally because he has Southern California ties, and that's something that Todd Graham needed to add to his staff. Joe Sayomalo, the defensive line coach, was also responsible for recruiting the Inland Empire. Delvon Alexander, the tight ends coach, has done some Southern California recruiting, but Jay Norvell was a pivotal guy. So how does this impact ASU's 2017 recruiting class? And really, it's recruiting moving forward. Well, that's a good point, and I think that it does have an impact but probably a little more longer term when you when you look at it and the reason I say that is because the way things are in recruiting nowadays it's it's multi-year relationships that lead to uh, high school kids feeling comfortable with you in the process and and understanding the landscape of everything at the place that you're recruiting and so I, I don't know that Jay Norvell was um in line to deliver any kind of really high profile kids from the Los Angeles area. But I do think that over the long run, that was going to, to definitely be a boost in an area where Todd Graham has said, Hey, we need to do better in Southern California recruiting. And that's been a, a, our traditional go-to region outside of Arizona. They haven't uh, landed as many commitments there as the previous staff did under Dennis Erickson. And, um, and as a result, that's probably what's contributed to them being a little more reliant on junior college recruiting, recruiting outside of the area. Uh, and, and so in consideration of that, when they make this next hire, that's, that should be something that um, is a part of the decision-making process uh, on who that is because, as you said, uh, Joe Sayomalo is very involved in, in recruiting the Inland Empire and, and uh, Orange County regions and Dell Alexander's there. And um, so ASU's definitely trying to increase its profile, but Jay Novell was a big part of that. And whoever you hire next probably should be as well. Now, speaking of that next hire, what are some possible avenues ASU can take? Because seemingly with coaches on staff who've coached multiple positions, especially on the offensive side of the ball, the Sun Devils have some flexibility with this hire. Well, the dream scenario that probably everyone will, will look at is is, is uh, Matt Lubick, who people will remember he was the top ace recruiter under Dennis Erickson, uh, left ASU um, prior to Erickson's firing to, to uh, switch uh, from the defensive side of the football as a coach, coaching secondary, to being the passing game coordinator and uh, coaching wide receivers at Duke. Uh, he had some good relationships with the coaches on that staff. That led to an opportunity to go to Oregon, uh, where he then became last year the or really the in the bowl game prior to that he became the the program's offensive coordinator. Did a very good job there. Their offense really wasn't the problem, especially when you look at 
that they the fact they had uh, a uh, freshman quarterback, Justin Herbert. They had four redshirt freshman offensive line starters, right? Um, and and uh, but but they get fired because they made some missteps in recruiting. They had two defensive coordinators in back-to-back uh, periods that uh, were very unsuccessful. They had one of the worst defenses, not only in the Pac-12 but really in the country. And so now the question becomes whether Mike, whether Matt Lubick would consider ASU even though it wouldn't be an offensive coordinator position and, um, you know, probably getting a little bit more into that on a deeper level is something that we'll reserve for our premium podcast. Yeah. We'll throw out some of the, uh, some of the names from that list on the premium podcast that we'll be recording later today should be out tomorrow. One other name that I do want to touch on just really quickly, because I think this is an obvious one that comes to mind and that's Aaron Flugrad, former ASU wide receiver and wide receivers coach up at Northern Arizona, who's really done an excellent job developing, uh, local recruits from the Valley who have gone up and played for the lumberjacks. Well, Flugrad was a transfer from Oregon to ASU and uh, played receiver, then was a, a graduate assistant under uh, Todd Graham. His father formerly coached at ASU. They, they, his family grew up in the Valley. Robin Flugrad uh, is his dad, um, who went on to become a head coach elsewhere. And, and so this is kind of like in his DNA, not just coaching, but also locally. And um, he was well-respected uh, in the ASU program. In fact, we just saw him... Uh, a few weeks ago at ASU and he just stopped by while he was recruiting to say hello to some of the coaches and and uh, probably continued some of those relationships. So uh, if they decide to go young, uh, he's a, a guy that you have to have up there near the top of the list given Graham's tendency to want to hire from within his circle, uh, the known uh, element factor. Then you have Flugrad who's done a really good job with the receivers at NAU. Um, the, the two best players that they have are both local guys, so that means he's recruited locally. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, of of things there. And then um, we outlined a handful of other coaches uh, on the sanctuary forum and and some possibilities, including somebody else who was in the Pac-12 this year. And that's something that we'd love to get into a lot more. Uh, in our subsequent premium podcast. And something that we'll be talking about on that premium podcast is the uh, official visits weekends that ASU has held for the first two weekends of December. A ton of kids on campus for ASU in Tempe and some high profile names, including some junior college players we'll touch on in the Sun Devil Source Report podcast right now. Uh, Just a few names of guys who are high-profile junior college recruits that ASU is looking at, including one in offensive tackle, Ronald Rudd, who announced a decommitment from UCLA on Twitter following his official visit to ASU. Chris, how significant is that? Uh, that's big. Um, Ronald Rudd is a 6'6", 325-pound uh, left tackle prospect, a guy from Southern California, uh, came out to ASU with... Um, his parents and both of his sisters. He also took a recruiting trip the previous weekend to Louisville. And the start of the mid-year signing period is uh, is beginning on Wednesday. So uh, that's tomorrow, right? So mm-hmm. uh, this thing is rapidly approaching, and, and he's got a decision to make. He said he may take a couple extra days before he knows what he wants to do. But ASU could use a 
ready-made left tackle to step in because, of course, you have Evan Goodman who's leaving, who was a multi-year starter. And beyond that, the situation becomes uncertain. Uh, you could uh, play a few different guys there, and, and they're going to have to figure that out in the spring. But you want to be able to add – uh, a guy like this to give you options. Yeah, sure. ASU has Cole Cabral, one of the best-looking tackle recruits the Sun Devils have had in a while, but Cabral can play anywhere on the offensive line. The Sun Devils have other young talent and Steve Miller, Zach Robertson, guys who can certainly compete. Quinn Bailey and Sam Jones will be juniors next year, but this is very much in the theory of adding as much talent as you possibly can, much like the Sun Devils did at the quarterback position, to put yourself in the best possible position to win next year. And Rudd is a guy, a junior college kid, six foot seven frame I believe who can be an impact player seemingly if if he's a mid-year guy and gets spring under his belt another junior college player to talk about Stephen Gidry a wide receiver that ASU is recruiting he's now in the Sun Devils top two and he was recently elevated to a four-star recruit yeah Gidry is um, really looking at Mississippi State and ASU Um, he was elevated from a two-star to four-star guy by scout.com uh, he's from the South originally. He's a guy who's long and athletic at the position. And I don't know that ASU necessarily needs a junior college receiver, but what we saw happen this year, Kerry, was injuries really permeated the, the, the roster there. Uh, you had a few guys that were hurt. That, that's what led to Fred Gamage uh, playing more of a role late in the season. And there's a greater emphasis on that wide receiver position. Uh, under Chip Lindsey in this offense and maybe a, a um, scaling back of the role of the tight end position. And so he obviously feels like they want to try to bolster that group as quickly as they, they can uh, via going the Juco route. And you have Brian Newsome, John Humphrey, you guys we talked about earlier. You have Nikhil Harry. Of course, you have uh, Jalen Harvey is a guy who was hurt at the end of the year, banged up, but but he's back. And Gidry would give them another piece. And, and there's a few other guys also that uh, are right there as well. We've talked a lot on the Sanctuary and in stories in previous weeks about where ASU can look to add junior college guys. And one of the positions that's become an obvious fit for a junior college transfer is the inside linebacker spot with Salamo Fiso graduating, Carlos Mendoza graduating. So you've now got multiple guys moving off the depth chart, and it's a position that's pretty difficult for high schoolers to come in and play immediately uh, in co- at the college level. So a guy who was on an official visit in Tempe over the weekend, Gary Johnson, uh, the number one junior college inside linebacker in the country, is now seriously considering ASU. Yes, uh, Dodge City. Um, is that where Marcus Hardison came from? Yeah. Dodge City. Yeah, Dodge City. The Kansas is kind of like a hotbed for junior college recruiting. And what ASU needs to do, Kerry, is needs to get more athletic and, and, and rangier and have a better ability uh, to play against the pass. And I think I think that's you know that's what Gary Johnson does. He he's a he is you know the the number one recruit in, in in the country among inside linebackers at the junior college level, depending on who you ask. Uh, he's been recruited by really high profile uh, programs. Decided to take a visit to ASU. He remarked after the visit, or maybe even while it was still going on, that he was really impressed with the uh, with the uh, fan response that uh, came to him on, on Twitter. Um, uh, he's kind of, we've played a little bit of, of back and forth, uh, exchanging messages and trying to get interviews set up, but that hasn't happened yet, but we're looking forward to talking to him 
as soon as we get an opportunity. Now, one last junior college prospect to talk about, and that's a defensive back, a guy who could potentially help the Sun Devils immediately given all their struggles in the back end, and that's Javante Dean. Right. Javante Dean is uh, committed to Alabama, originally from Homestead, Florida, which uh, south of Miami. Uh, he's He told me yesterday that he's going to visit Miami uh, in January 13th. Right now, it looks like his decision will probably come down to ASU, Miami, and, and, and maybe Alabama, where he is uh, currently committed. And... Um, Looking forward to kind of seeing how that unfolds because I think academics are, are in play there. There's some different eligibility requirements in the SEC versus other conferences that has worked in ASU's favor in the past and, and could be a factor here here again. We'll have quite a few updates on our premium podcast on all of the high school commits, or excuse me, the potential high school commits, all of the high school recruits that ASU has had on campus. We'll go more in depth on the junior college guys that the Sun Devils are looking at and considering adding the mid-year signing period. Chris, it's, it's upon us, and ASU has a big opportunity to add some impact players, especially because the Sun Devils went 5-7 and seven this season, so obviously they miss out on a bowl game, so the spring practice slate becomes that much more important. Yeah, one of the things that we're going to do in the premium podcast is go over the top 10 to 12 recruits that ASU has on its uh, recruiting board, what we call the big board on Sun Devil Source. It, it's, it's a one-stop location that basically breaks down all of the prospects that ASU is targeting. Uh, we're going to go over who the top guys are and why and, and where ASU stands and all those recruitments uh, in the premium podcast. So now we'll switch gears a bit and talk about the ASU basketball program coming off a big victory over San Diego State. Went into San Diego and picked up that win over the Aztecs this weekend, a mid-major program. And now the Sun Devils received some difficult news on Monday afternoon, news that one of the top recruits in the last decade for ASU has decided to transfer just 10 games into his freshman season. That's Sam Cunliffe, a Washington native, is going back home at least temporarily right now to reevaluate his options. And Chris, this is a big-time loss for ASU's program. No doubt, because um, as you said, this is the third highest-rated prospect that ASU's had. Uh, in, in the last 10 years, behind only James Harden and Jahi Carson. Um, and Sam Cunliffe was playing a lot and starting, and you would think that, that would he'd be happy because he's averaging nearly 10 points a game and five rebounds, and uh, he's 25 minutes a game and, and um, you know getting a lot of opportunities, even though the team has not done well in some of its high-profile games. You wouldn't expect that just 10 games into your freshman year, that um, a guy like that would would already be departing, just especially given how much he's playing and the opportunity that he, that he will have, uh, not only this year, but really in, in the future. Um, according to a program source, and then uh, later confirmed by Cunliffe in a tweet that he posted, there's some family issues that are involved with this, and, and he said he doesn't know what he's doing uh, subsequent Lee, but he's going to go home and, and, and spend this time with his family and, and probably talk about this and get it sorted out. Um, there's a, when you talk to people um, who are close to, to Cunliffe or, or, or the ASU program, um, there's a little bit of a disconnect as you would anticipate in a situation like this. Um, some questions about maybe the, the, the culture at ASU. Of course, you had Bobby Hurley who lashed out 
at his team following a loss to Purdue that was in the uh, Madison Square Garden in the game before ASU's best win of the season uh, at San Diego State. And then subsequently a couple of players uh, didn't start the next game as a result of that. And um, I think Cunliffe was concerned about that. And she was, and so, uh, but yeah, so I, I mean, we'll, we'll just have to kind of see how they, how they rebound. This wasn't going to be a, a, a good season for ASU basketball regardless, right? But um, for the future, that's really where it has a big impact. Yeah, you mentioned that ASU loss at per or in uh, against Purdue in New York. The Sun Devils were playing in the Jimmy V Classic, and Bobby Hurley came out after the game, really, really upset about his team's performance against Purdue that night. And and here's the quote that he offered up. He said, "Quote for a city that's a blue collar city." And an arena that has so much tradition and so many good players that have played on this court, to look like that, it was embarrassing. And then the cause, such a great cause that we're playing for tonight. Did my players play as hard as the people that are going through what they go through in cancer, as families go through in their personal situations? I don't think so. And Hurley went on to later talk about his team's effort, calling it embarrassing, very disturbing, soft. And then he said, no backbone to the team's performance that night. And that is about as harsh of a criticism as you'll find from a college coach to uh, to the media about his players. It's reminiscent of Brian Kelly in Notre Dame. <laughs> I, I don't know how you could really go beyond that, you know. No. Um, you're you're referencing your team. Well, Mike Leach it, did once one time say that his players played like skeletons. So <laughs> okay, well maybe it's a step down from that. But but no, I mean clearly you have in Bobby Hurley a guy who's just ultra competitive, and um, that that just you can see when you watch him that that comes out of all of his pores, and uh, and he's very. Um, uh, insistent that his team play and prepare in that kind of fashion and they've really to be honest kind of loafed through some of their games this year and I think he's recognized that that's a that's a very frustrating sort of a thing when you're in the second year of building a program just because maybe things aren't going well for you uh, shooting the shooting the basketball it doesn't mean that you need that you can play less hard on the defensive end or rebounding that means you have to actually do more because you're not uh, having the type of, of success offensively that you're going to need to be successful. Um, and um, and this is an ASU team that's really challenged and, and um, doesn't have much size or post presence, and they're going to have to make threes at a high percentage in, in order to win. But one thing you can't do, Kerry, is you can't sacrifice your culture in the uh, for any type of short-lived success. Um and Hurley's already a player's coach in the sense that he allows a lot of offensive freedom with shots and and, and the way that guys uh, play so that they have confidence and, and all that. And uh, people like that. They feel like, um, you know, talking to fans and people who follow the program closely, they, they feel like that's something that's, that Herb Sendak didn't have, the coach that Hurley's replaced. Um, but you can't sacrifice the culture and – um, and so that's why you see the comments that he made uh, after the Purdue game or, or elsewhere in the season. That's why maybe he's not started guys who he started previously. He's juggled his lineup around. 
Uh, he's even started somebody in the first half and then somebody else in the second half because he wasn't happy. Um, and he, he's challenged because his his he only has really eight guys who can play for him. So there's really only so many options that you have um, with moving guys around or how much playing time you assign to them. And now that gets even tougher because you lose Cunliffe, who's starting and one of your top players. And, and there's really almost no perimeter bench depth to, to speak of at this point. And, um, and while that's the case, this really even hurts more, as I said earlier, uh, the, the following season when you're going to have Romello White, who's a fellow uh, top 100 level prospect that signed with Cunliffe, but he has to sit out academically. You get another year from Jethro Tshumpa, who's uh, a, a developing post prospect. And then you'll have as your senior leadership, your, your backcourt players and Shannon Evans and Trey Holder, um, plus some additional players that they'll be able to bring into their program. But um, yeah, it's ASU basketball is a, is a very tough place to be successful. We, it's something we've talked about a lot on the side. People will know that. And, and this is just another example of that. Um, and, and, and at the risk of um, making an indictment of an entire um, uh, group of people, I think there's just too much, uh, too much, um, the, the transfers are kind of an epidemic in college basketball and it, it's gotten worse and worse. And there's, I think, uh, a myriad factors that go into that carry, uh, including AAU culture, guys who switch teams very regularly, even high schools now, guys are switching and moving around a lot or they're they're leaving their state to go play for prep schools. Um, you have these recruiting um, entities that build up these, these, these prospects. Uh, uh, social media becomes a very ego-fulfilling um, type of a endeavor, uh, and, and there become these uh, re- uh, expectations that are just really out of whack with reality. I think Cunliffe, um, from people I talked to, thought that he probably should have been on the NBA radar of these draft sites and, and, and getting the feedback that he hoped to have already. And, and look, the reality is he was the 45th best prospect in the country. There were, that means that there's 40 some guys who are as good or better than him. And that means that there's 40 or some, so guys like that in the previous class and the class before that and the class before that. And as you know, there's only 30 first round picks and, uh, and half of that are guys that are lottery caliber players in any given year. And so being the 45th best prospect in the country is not a, a, in any way, shape or form, a thing that's going to lead to you automatically being a first round draft pick in a year or two years or three years. That means that you in your class have to still continue to outperform the rest of the people to put yourself in the position to be that when, um, when it's time to, to consider whether you're going to, to leave and play professional basketball. And, and all of this has kind of set up a, environment in, in which uh, guys will try to uh, take the path of least resistance, I, I think. And that's that's dangerous for individuals because you have people that are always in their ear and around them saying, oh, you should be doing this and that. And you look at 
maybe what somebody else is doing in, in, in your league. Mar- Markel Fultz at, Fultz at Washington is, is an elite uh, player who's having great success. That's where Sam Cunliffe is from. Uh, right, and you look at Lonzo Ball at UCLA, who's a true freshman who was a, a top five player in his class, and is and is a, is um, sort of leading this UCLA re- resurgence. Um, and maybe Sam Cunliffe is, is is saying, well, you know, we're playing in an empty building at Wells Fargo, and we're six and four, and we getting blown out by Kentucky and Purdue, and and and, um, and, and maybe I don't get along with my teammates all that well or, or they haven't included me or there's things about the, the, the culture or being away from home that I like, my big family. And then the the default becomes, well, you just you just move. You just go on and, and, and take another job. And and I don't want this to be an indictment of quote unquote millennials because that's what a lot of people end <laughs> up making these kinds of things. I wouldn't let you do that. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, mean, I think that's kind of like it's kind of frustrating that people just assign something to an entire generation of people. Um, but I, I will say that um, what we've learned is that 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 people they, they switched careers and jobs a lot more. We're seeing that in, in schools. And there's just a different maybe mindset that people have about trying to accomplish what they're trying to accomplish that's maybe perhaps a bit different uh, culturally now. And and certainly in the, the basketball grassroots community and what's happening in college basketball, that's, that's manifested. And um, so that's the kind of the end of my soliloquy on that. A lot of impact, obviously, that this Sam Cunliffe transfer will have or impending transfer will have on the ASU program. But the Sun Devils did bounce back from that Purdue loss that they took hard in New York. And Torian Graham didn't start. Obi Aleka didn't start. The Sun Devils got off to a bit of a slow start and rebounded with their best performance of the season to date against Steve Fisher's San Diego State squad, a team that is normally very difficult to beat, probably a bit down this year, already a loss to GCU on the schedule. So, Chris, is Nevada under Eric Musselman the team to beat in the Mountain West? (laughs) Well, maybe. um, Yeah, there's there's been a shifting of power in the league because not – not only is San Diego State down this year, and it, and it played poorly in that game. Jeremy Hemsley is a guy they want to be a, a point guard, but we've we've known that he really is more of a, a lead guard scorer than he is a facilitator. Trey Kell is somebody that they looked at as maybe as uh, a guy who could play point guard, but he's also in the same mold as Hemsley, a ball dominant player who uh, wants to create opportunities for himself, scoring the football, scoring the basketball. You have. Um, and no real point guard on that roster, um, and there's just no cohesion that I see. It's probably the worst Steve Fisher team that I can remember there in, in quite some time. And then ASU um, pretty much blew out UNLV earlier, mm-hmm. and that's a, a team that's been a you know perennial powerhouse uh, in, in that Mountain West Conference, and now is 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 far removed from that. So those two programs have been like sort of at the top of the food chain. But now you have, as you mentioned, Nevada. Uh, They have a very good team and and, um, Musselman's done a good job there. You have Colorado State has been uh, doing well in recent years and and, and is uh, moving up. And and Wyoming has done quite well. And then New Mexico is also a team that's, um, you know, probably not as good as it has been at times in the past, but but is better than San Diego State and UNLV, and um, 
there have been years recently, Curry, in which the, the Mountain West Conference was probably as good as the Pac-12 or close to it. And that, that probably isn't the case this year. But uh, it's a very competitive league, and, and there's some benefits to, to that league that you don't have in the Pac-12. And one of them, one of those benefits, it is um, the ability to get players who previously were in the Pac-12 or other places that decided to transfer. And then when you, when you do that, you have to sit out a year, and then you don't want to go through that process again, or maybe it's too late for you to do that again. So you have to sort of buck up and then buy in and get a little bit tougher and um, face some adversity head on. And so I think that's also benefited that league. If you're an ASU assistant coach, look out. Nevada's looking to hire you. Jay Norvell to the football program, Eric Musselman to the basketball program. Interesting stuff up there for the Wolfpack. One final note to touch on on this podcast. ASU does lose Sam Cunliffe, but the Sun Devils have a transfer coming in to the program, and that is Ohio State transfer Mikey Mitchell, who was at one point, Chris, during his long basketball career regarded as one of the top overall prospects in the country. So I didn't get a chance to really watch him much as a prospect. Um, he's from out of the area and um, went to Ohio State and everything. But the other analysts on scout and talking to Evan Daniels, Josh Gershon, who do a great job and everybody should follow their work on, on scouthoops.com and, and uh, you know social media, Twitter, all that. But uh, they said that at one point, uh, he was considered the best or maybe one of the best uh, prospects in the country when he was like eighth grade freshman year range. Uh, he was physically advanced. Um, and uh, but, but then a lot of guys kind of caught up with him and maybe even passed him. And he was sort of living on that legacy or that, that he had established and goes to Ohio State. Uh, doesn't really play much there and averages a couple points and a couple rebounds and decided to look for a new home. And, and maybe it makes you wonder that ASU could have already been in anticipation of this Sam Cunliffe departure, um, just given that that uh, that addition was announced just only a, a few days prior to this happening. I don't know that that's going to be a replacement for Cunliffe. More, more likely what happens is, is the bulk of those minutes end up going immediately to a four-star prospect uh, who's a borderline top 50 player in the 2017 class, and that's Kamani Lawrence, who's a 6'6 wing from a prep school back east that, that, that ASU's uh, received a, a commitment from and um, already signed with the program in, in the early signing period in, in November. Actually, I, I, I would imagine that cu- that uh, Lawrence basically ends up playing the, the Cunliffe role uh, on the team next year. And he, he's very talented and probably has a similar, uh, not only a similar type of game, given that they're, that they're about the same size and length and, 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 uh, and a comparable athleticism, uh, but also their approach is, is, is somewhat similar. And, um, and I think, I think that he ends up having to play a big role for a team that's trying to compete for a NCAA tournament next year. So a lot happening for both ASU football and ASU hoops, and we'll keep you up to date throughout the football offseason as the recruiting cycle continues and throughout the basketball season as the Sun Devils approach Pac-12 play. But that will do it for the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. Stay on the lookout for our Sun Devil Source Premium Report. We'll have plenty of recruiting updates. Don't miss that. A lot to look forward to there. Get on Chris. our site. Download that. SunDevilSource.com. Hit the join button. All right, that will do it for this week. Thanks so much for tuning in. For 
publisher, Chris Cartman. I'm your host, Kerry Crowley, with the Sun Devil Source Report Podcast.